And while the children are going, and before I ask you to take your Bibles this morning, let me just give you a little update on a couple staff things. Um, for the last few years, Steve Miller has served so faithfully as our middle school director here at Crossway. Um, in addition to caring for the middle school students, Steve, as you know, guided our student ministry through a seven-month transition period when we did not have a youth pastor. Um, in a very real way, Steve was the glue that held our student ministry together, and he did it with such faithfulness and such humility. He has loved students and families here at Crossway really so well. Over the past few months, um, Steve has been sensing God calling him to invest his time in other ways, which include just a greater presence in his own business, Frontita, as well as ministering to the people in his community of downtown Kenosha. And so at the end of this month, Steve will be stepping down as the middle school director. Uh, we are so thankful for Steve and his willingness to invest in this special way during this time. And we pray God's blessing on these next steps for Steve and for his family. So as you see him, uh, would you please just thank him for the way he served this church so well. And then we also want you to be aware uh, of a change uh, with Justin Denny and our work and our presence in the Wilson neighborhood. Last year, 2019, Justin uh, joined the staff team uh, in a part-time church planting residency with an aim to one day, Lord willing, plant a church in the Wilson neighborhood of Kenosha. Next week, Justin will be brought into a full-time role on staff, continuing his uh, church planting residency and adding oversight of a few ministries. We're eager for Justin's immediate contribution for our church, but with a clear aim to send him off in a few years to plant a church, Lord willing, in the neighborhood of Wilson Elementary School. So, friends, even in the midst of these unusual times, we want to continue to push forward and not be so occupied with what's right in front of us that we get bumped off our mission or bumped off our purpose as a church. So please be praying. I am so encouraged by how frequently people come to me and say, we're praying for you, we're praying for the, the team, we're praying for the church. Well, here's a couple things to kind of add to your prayers, to two families, ministry, that we can be praying for together. All right, will you now take your Bibles and turn with me this morning once again to the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. And this morning I want to invite you to turn back to chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, there is something very important there that we need to go back and pick up. You know that we are in this series that we've called Key Issues. We are looking at these key truths from God's Word, foundational truths, in fact, like deeply foundational truths that should be undergirding and shaping how we think and how we live. And I've mentioned this, I think, multiple times. It should come as no surprise to us that these foundational truths are laid out for us in the very first pages of the Bible. Uh, the truth about the equality of every human being, the truth about the sanctity of every human life, the truth about God's design of human sexuality, male and female, distinct but different and different, and the truth about God's design of marriage, a man and a woman in an exclusive and permanent and God-sealed 
relationship, these, these foundational grounding truths. Well, I want us to see another of these truths this morning, and it has to do with God's design of family. So far, one word for each truth, equality, sanctity, sexuality, marriage, now today, family. And for this, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to read, starting at verse 27. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. It's really just one brief statement in the midst of this that I want us to focus on today, but let's get the context, starting at verse 27. This is God's word. You follow along. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray together. Father, once again, help us. We need your help. And Lord, I know that it's easy for us to kind of be distracted by some of the inconveniences we got to deal with these days. God, I pray you would so capture our minds right now for the next half hour that we would put thoughts of that behind and have our minds filled with thoughts of you. Not just mindful, but heartful. God, draw us in. We need your word. You have been so good to us. And now in this wonderful rhythm, gathering on Sunday mornings and placing ourselves under your word, here you are loving us again, giving us your word, nurturing us, helping us to think rightly and feel rightly and live rightly. And so, God, we're looking to you. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want, as we begin this morning, to especially call to your memory the truths of the past two Sundays. Remember God's design for human sexuality. We saw it there in verse 27. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And then God's design for marriage. We saw that in chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, out of his design of human sexuality, male and female, and out of his design for marriage, man and wife, God calls for this fruitfulness from Adam and Eve. 
We see it there in chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, got to remember the relationship between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Chapter 2 is an expansion of chapter 1, verse 27. It's a closer, more detailed look at what happened on the sixth day, how God created male and female. As we've seen, it's a wonderful account in Genesis chapter 2. But obviously, it's after God has created both the man and the woman, and he's brought Eve to Adam, that he now says, back in chapter 1, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And given that fill the earth part, it's clear he wants... Adam and Eve to have children and for their children to have children and for them to have children and on and on it should go. Be fruitful as a human race. Multiply. There, there is an earth to fill. There is an earth to subdue. There is an earth to manage and steward. And, and we've seen with God's design for human sexuality and with his design for marriage that God means these things for good. Good for individuals, good for humanity, for human society, and it's exactly the same with family. It's God's design. This is not just man's idea or something that man discovered. It's not the result of some random process. This is God's very intentional design, and he means it for good. We see that clear pronouncement there in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So we, we can't think lightly or loosely about family, as if it's something that's nice, but in the end not essential, something we can redefine or we can disregard or we can disrupt. So let's be very clear. This idea of family, a man and a woman, a mom and a dad having children and them growing up and getting married and having children, that's God's design. Fathers, mothers, children, grandchildren, brothers and sisters, and then extended family, aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews and cousins. Family is part of God's great design for humanity, and family is very important in God's design, as we'll see. And it's important that we all see this. I mean, I know that we're not all married. I know that not all that are married have children. Still, it's absolutely crucial that what God has to say about family be part of our shared vision of the Christian life. It's important that no matter what age you are, what marital status you have, what God says here needs to be, to be shared. It needs to shape how we think and how we all live in relation to one another. And I want to say that God's plan for families sometimes happens in ways other than a husband and a wife having their own biological children. I mean, hear me carefully on this. God knows that in this world, his design is going to run into all kinds of effects from the fall. It's going to run into all kinds of effects of sin. So his design won't be followed perfectly or it won't work out perfectly 
I mean, just like with the other key realities that we've seen, equality, sanctity of life, human sexuality, marriage, it's the same with family. It, it also is a target of the enemy. It's a casualty at times of sin, and there can be devastating effects. I mean, for example, orphans, because of untimely deaths or because of inability to provide or because of abandonment. And so, what does God do? God rescues, and he redeems, and he provides. I mean, just listen to this. I, I find myself so thankful that stuff like this is in the Bible for us to know about God. Listen, this is Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6, talking about God. Father of the fatherless. Protector of widows. Is God in his holy habitation? God settles the solitary in a home. That could read families. God settles the fatherless, the solitary, the alone in families. And one of the ways he does this is by means of adoption, both formal and informal. And by means of the extension of loving care and welcome by God's people toward these challenging situations, orphans and widows and the alone, I'm so glad to have a God who names this and does this. And I think just as one example of all of the children in our church family, dozens of them who have been adopted and brought into a home where they are now loved and cared for and provided for and they are now in a family. Friends, it's a form of fruitfulness. And God sees it and he delights in it. And here... Right in Genesis chapter 1, God establishes his plan of family. So, so we see this key truth, this foundational truth of God's design for the flourishing of human society. And out of his design that we've already seen of human sexuality and of marriage, this now wonderful, amazing thing, family. Be fruitful and multiply. And it's this key truth that I want us to consider together this morning. So let's look. I want us to see three truths this morning underneath the big truth of God's design and God's purpose for families. I want to look at three little truths, three family truths from God's Word. And let's start with what we see right here in Genesis chapter 1. So family truth number one. Family is God's design for the good of human society on earth. Family is God's design for the good of human society on earth. I mean, it's clear from the fuller context of verse 28 that this is through this coming together of male and female and having children, being fruitful and multiplying, this, this is the way that humanity occupies its place and role in God's world. Look again at verse 28. God says... Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So there, there is this 
use of and stewarding of this amazing creation with all of its variety, all of its usefulness, and God intends humans to uniquely have that place, to have that role. Yes, to care for creation, but also he's made it for our use. To put it to use, look at chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it, to tend it. But the fact of the matter is there's a big world. It's not just this little plot of ground called the Garden of Eden. God has made an earth, and it's big. And it's not just for one man or one couple to do this job, to step into this role, God intends for there to be many people, multitudes of people. God has the intention for multitudes of people to be in relationship with him and to enjoy him and to enjoy this amazing life that he's given and to enjoy this amazing earth that he's made. And so God says to Adam and Eve, have kids. Let's get it started. Be fruitful and multiply And you may know this, but that phrase, that gets repeated over and over and over again to successive generations all the way through the book of Genesis and beyond. Let me just give you a a taste of this. We're going to do a quick tour here of the book of Genesis. We've seen here in chapter 1, verse 28, God speaking to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Now flip over, if you would, to Genesis chapter 9. I'm going to make you work a little bit this morning. Genesis chapter 9. Verse 1, this is to Noah. Remember what happened. Mankind had gone completely off the rails, engaging in all kinds of violence and evil, and God saw it. In fact, just, just look back for a moment to chapter 6. Look at verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and then let your eyes sneak down in chapter 6 to verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We're going to get to that in a couple weeks. But for now, all of humanity has gone evil. God is going to judge them. He rescues Noah and his family in the ark. You know that story of that great saving. And after the flood, after God's judgment has now passed, now look at chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In fact, he says it twice. Look down at verse 7. And you be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply in it. I mean, here's this very clear instruction given again to increase the race by having and raising children. Now, flip over to chapter 17, Genesis chapter 17. Listen to what God says now to Abraham. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful 
and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now flip over to chapter 28. Stay with me. Chapter 28. This is now Abraham, his son Isaac, speaking to his son Jacob. Genesis chapter 28, verses 1 through 3. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. Now flip over to chapter 35, verse 9. This is God speaking directly to that same Jacob. Chapter 35, verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram, and he blessed him, and God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Now one more, flip over to Genesis chapter 48. This is now Jacob looking back on how God has fulfilled these words. Genesis 48. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father, that's Jacob, is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Do you see? This is both a command and a blessing and it actually appears 10 times in the book of Genesis. And another thing you'll notice as you read through the book of Genesis are all these genealogies these lists of generations, so-and-so begat so-and-so. Six extended lists scattered throughout the book of Genesis. The first one is in chapter 5 where we read, remember, about Methuselah and about Enoch. There's one in chapter 9, there's one in chapter 11. Six times these genealogies, they make for challenging reading sometimes, don't they? but they stand there in your Bible as a testimony, bearing testimony to the fulfillment of this command and this blessing of God, be fruitful and multiply. And through the centuries, God's people have married and had children. It's God's design. It's part of his purpose. Being fruitful and multiplying is part of God's design for us. It is a remarkable invitation to join with God in his purposes for humanity. So first, family truth number one. Family is God's design for the good of human society. Second, family truth number two. Family involves work. Hard work. 
Parents, when it comes to children, you don't just have them. You got to raise them. And that's work. You see, in God's design, being fruitful is not just a biological phenomenon. It's a spiritual one. We've got to be very clear on this. In God's design, being fruitful and multiplying is not just a biological process. It's a profoundly spiritual process because children are not just animals, even though sometimes they seem like it. They are made in the image of God. They are image bearers. They're little images of God. They've been given the breath of life in them. So parents, we've got work to do that goes beyond just feeding them and keeping their little bodies warm and dry. I mean, I love all the places in the Bible that talk about this. Parents, we have not been left without clear instruction. God didn't just say, be fruitful and multiply, and then, okay, now you're on your own. I'm so glad the Bible speaks so much about this because we need help. We need encouragement. Right? I, I thought I was going to hear about 100 amens on that one. I mean, just listen. And these words, which I command you, shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way or drive in your car and when you lie down and when you rise up. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, except the drive in your car part. Make these things known to your children and your children's children. There's a word to grandparents there. It's Deuteronomy chapter 4. Teach these to your children that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. That's Psalm 78. One generation shall praise your works to another. That's Psalm 145. And please notice it's praise your works. Dry and unemotional and indifferent teaching about God, whether it takes place in the home or takes place in the church, misrepresents God. Tell your children of it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. That's the prophet Joel. And we have the same thing brought forward into the New Testament. Fathers, parents, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's very clear from these and a dozen other places that God's design is for there to be a spiritual fruitfulness and that that happens first and foremost in families from one generation to the next. And that involves work. Faithful, diligent, persistent, long labor. And a mistake that too many parents make is that they think that this training will happen by itself or by some other means than their work, their training, their instructing, their nurturing, their disciplining, their sacrificial loving. Listen, God's primary vehicle for the multiplication of spiritual fruitfulness is the link between parents and children the link between generations in a family. The most important school a child will ever attend is the home. The most influential teachers a child will ever have are parents. 
God's design is that a vision of God, a deep love for and a trust in Christ, a love for God's word, a love for the local church, a desire for others to know Christ, all of that fruit be imparted, produced in the family. Now, you're not alone. I mean, one of the things that this church believes in ever so strongly is the partnership between the family and the church, the church coming alongside with its support and encouragement and instruction. I tell you, I will never, never cease being thankful to God for the blessing that it has been to us as a family that my children grew up in a church like this. I thank God for this church and all of the people who have had a part, be it ever so small, in shaping my children. So, truth number two, God's design of family involves work, spiritual work. Now, family truth number three. In God's design, family is great blessing. Please notice how I said that. It's not a great blessing. In God's design, family is great blessing. You may be familiar with this psalm. If you're a parent, (laughs) you should be familiar with this. Psalm 127. Behold, children are a blessing. Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Children are a blessing. That's not always the view of the world, but it's God's view. And while it's true that at times having children can bring unique challenges into our lives, we cannot adopt some opinion of children other than this one. Even in a fallen world, children are living proof that God's mercy and God's kindness and God's blessing extends even to sinners like us. And it's not just that children are a blessing. In God's design, the blessing is multidirectional. I mean, it shouldn't go without saying that parents are a blessing to their children. Listen, I love this this verse. You should know this is in your Bible. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children is their parents. You see? God has built into the family these channels of blessing in all directions and it's not just about enjoyable human relationships. There are spiritual things going on in God's design. Real blessing from God flowing this way and that. Listen to what the prophet Malachi said. He's talking to the people of God about the importance of faithfulness in their marriages and in their families. Listen to what he says. Did he, he's talking about God, did he not make them one, husband and wife, with a portion of his spirit in their union? And what was the one thing God was seeking? Answer, godly offspring. Spiritual blessing, spiritual fruitfulness multiplying the image of God and the glory of God in the propagating of the human race. I mean, think about this. God using this, God at work in this obedience to this command to accomplish his purpose, this this very earthy 
very physical, this flesh and blood thing we do of bringing little human beings into the world. It's a means by which God intends to advance his kingdom and populate his kingdom. Bringing people to Christ and through Christ to himself, godly offspring, spiritual offspring. So let me wrap this up by just now a few words very specifically directed to particular groups. So first, young people. Young people. You might, you might be five, six, seven. You might be in elementary school. You might be in middle school, high school. Want you, I, I just want to encourage you to think about marriage. See marriage as the good thing that it is. It's something to be anticipated. It's something when the time comes to be pursued. And young couples, as you're dating, as you're anticipating perhaps a more serious relationship, as you enter into marriage, young couples anticipate God's blessing in having children. Be fruitful as God enables you to be. Families, raise your children. If God puts on your heart, adopt children. May there be a spiritual fruitfulness and multiplication in our families. And finally, church, let us, all of us, be ever so strongly alongside families, praying, serving in kids' ministry, helping out in youth ministry, encouraging parents when you see them, praying some more, supporting in multiple ways and rejoicing in God's design that our families might be fruitful and multiply for their good, for our good and for the good of human society and ultimately for God's glory, both in this world and in the world to come. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again, not just for your word, we thank you for your gifts. Father, we recognize every one of us is, is in a, our own situation, our own unique circumstances, but it's not hard to hear the goodness of your design for all of us. And so, Lord, we pray in our own unique places, in our own unique relationships, and certainly together as a church, God, I pray that we would say yes. We see it. We affirm it. We support it. We encourage it. We, we want to take our role, whatever it is, for the ongoing purpose of you bringing many sons and daughters to glory. So God, help us. We yield. We yield to your word and your truth. And we ask you, out of the riches of your grace, 
would you pour out on us everything we need for life and for godliness and for strength in family relationships, generation to generation to generation. God, preserve us. In Jesus' name, amen.